So that first part of the prayer is so important, and I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear the, la- the first two sermons, get them online when they're online. And in your own prayer time, there should be lots of time of adoration and exalting the name of the Lord and resetting your heart on the truths of who He is and His goodness and His perfections and His beauty and His plan of salvation and the hope of heaven and all the spiritual treasures waiting for us in heaven. So that when you get to the list of petitions, personal petitions, you'll ask with the right attitude and and you'll ask for the good things. The good things according to God's definition of good things. When we pray, Father, give us today our daily bread, we are like babes, completely dependent on God for everything. And so we're going to look at the the three things today, the three aspects of daily bread, the three things daily bread can refer to, and not just focus on our material needs. But we'll start there, because certainly we have material needs. We're souls in physical bodies. We need food. A good portion of our life is working so we can get food, so we can get enough energy to work some more to get money to buy food, to have energy to work some more. It's, work is a joy, it's a blessing, but we live in a fallen world and we know in Genesis 3 that after the fall, God cursed this earth and man's toil. Right? That we have to work by the sweat of our brow and that there's an element of exasperation and frustration to our work. We, we work really hard to build things up and then they fall apart. You work really hard to build up your savings account and then an emergency comes along and wipes it out. And you work really hard to put food on the table and like an hour later your kids are walking around the house going, I'm hungry. It's enough to drive parents to insanity. <laughs> How could you still be hungry? Or you should have eaten what was on the table. But this prayer request reminds us that everything we need comes from God. In fact, if God had not created the universe and the cosmos and our galaxy and solar system and our planet and made it habitable to human life, there'd be no us. And we take those things for granted when we get up each morning. And part of our daily bread is that God sustains the world that he built. Do some reading in the second half of the book of Job and go through the list of all the things God is doing to provide this world with daily bread. This whole ecosystem that takes care of itself. We put seed in the ground and we take for granted that it grows into food. And that animals can be food for us as well. And we don't have to create them. God provides them. Yes, we tend the garden. But we 
we're not the creator and sustainer. God has set all that up, and he is keeping it set up by his great creative and sustaining power. So praying, God, give us this day our daily bread, is reminding us just how powerful this God really is. And so if he can handle all those needs, then certainly our minor needs he can handle. And it puts our needs in perspective. Often our needs become mountains out of molehills. And I don't mean to um, belittle any serious needs you have right now. I'm helping you to put those needs in perspective. Because they can become overwhelming and we can become convinced I can't go on without a new job or a pay raise or a new house or a new car. And yet you get up the next morning and, and somehow you manage to get through another day without any of those things. And then you step back and look at the rest of the world and realize we have more stuff in America than most of the third world nations combined. In fact, we would probably get by much better without a lot of the stuff that we call daily bread. In Philippians 4.19, Paul, writing from prison of all places, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And he's specifically talking about the things that we need in order to accomplish God's will for our lives. The ministry, the good works he has preordained for us. He will richly supply everything we need to do the work he has called each of us to do. Our problem is sometimes we lose sight of our purpose as Christians. And when our purpose changes, then our needs change with them. And we begin to think we need things that we really don't need. And so praying the Lord's Prayer with the intent of resetting my heart and aligning it with God's heart means trusting Him that whatever I need to fulfill the Great Commission in the sphere of influence He's given me, God will richly supply all that I need in Christ Jesus. And if I don't have a material need met, it must not be necessary for the work God has for me that day. And instead of sitting around and not being obedient to Christ and not serving and not moving ahead with the Great Commission, we sit around and, and we say, well, I can't do anything until I get this thing. We had plenty of resources for VBS. And we would have had just a good of VBS if we didn't have a single penny. Because all we really need is a bunch of kids willing leaders, and the Word of God. That's, that's the whole formula. The rest is just uh, to grab their attention and set the mood and have some fun. 
when they do a, a wana in third world countries, they keep it real simple. They don't have all the uniforms and the little jewels and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's unnecessary. We need far less of the things of this world than we think. And the things that we really need, we only have a little clue about how much we really need things like spiritual nourishment. And so Jesus comes down from heaven and he knows the way things really are and he's teaching us to reset our priorities and reevaluate our lives. Look what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, God knows better than we do what we really need each day. So he says, don't, don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like unbelievers. In what way? Well, I didn't give you the rest of the scripture, but constantly seeking to have their material needs met. Spending all of their energy and time plotting and planning and hoarding. Remember the guy that built barns and they were too small so he tore them down and built bigger barns and what did Jesus say that night his soul was required of him and God said you fool you fool tonight your soul is required of you you need to, you need to answer to God your soul is on the line here and Jesus says what have you gained if you've gained the whole world but lost your soul in the process. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What things? Food, shelter, clothing, the essentials. And he promises that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Maybe not in the amount or the color or the timing, or the style. But we have things backwards. We often say, once I have my little kingdom set up, then I will be ready to serve the Lord. Then I'll be ready to praise Him. And our little kingdoms never get set up the way we want them. We always want one more thing. Or, or the thing we set up, has fallen into disrepair. And we repair this, and now that looks nice, and then this thing that we refurbished a couple years ago is out of style again, or it's in disrepair. And so life can very easily become all about trying to make heaven on earth. And God never intended heaven on earth. Heaven's for heaven. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy good things. Here. But we must put things in their proper place. Notice the redundancy in the request. Give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say, give us today bread or give us daily bread. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Luke may record a shorter, abridged version of the Lord's Prayer, but like I said the last two weeks, we're looking at the longer version in Matthew. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what we're used to preaching. 
Give us this day our daily bread. This emphasis on we just need what we need for today. Like the Israelites in the wilderness. Manna for today. Do not collect extra, God said. He's teaching them, I will provide for you daily. And, and they collected extra and it rotted. And of course, after a while, they didn't want manna. They wanted meat. And it's amazing when our hearts start to convince ourselves that we have uh, needs that aren't really needs. We'll convince ourselves of just about anything. They convince themselves it would be better if we were back in slavery in Egypt because at least we had variety. Forgetting what slavery was like. Oh, and remember that time Pharaoh killed all of your sons? So Jesus teaching us to pray, to trust him each day and taking one day at a time. It doesn't mean we don't plan and we don't save. We have to be good stewards of the things God gives us. You, you can't be foolish with the things he gives you and then tomorrow go, well, God, give, give me more stuff today. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about trusting that God loves you. He knows what's best for you. And he'll provide what you need each day. That doesn't mean that sometimes he doesn't give you more than you need on some days. Because he's a good father and loves to bless his children abundantly. But it's amazing how when we have like what your kids call best day ever, that becomes the new standard for what every day should be like. Sometimes you almost fear giving your kids the best day ever because now you got to do that every day. And so we're careful that when God is blessing us with an abundance that that doesn't become the standard. One of the psalmists wrote about a petition to God in his psalm that I wouldn't have so much that I would feel like I don't need you anymore, but I wouldn't have so little that I would be tempted to steal or see you as stingy. You know, God, you know where my zone is better than I do. Keep me in that zone where I am dependent on you and grateful for what you provide. I'm convinced that the reason I'm not a millionaire is because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. I have to trust. I'm also convinced that the reason that I'm not in poverty is because I probably couldn't handle that either. <laughs> and so you find the sweet spot in life. And then you trust that there will be times where God moves you out of your comfort zone to, to teach you lessons. God likes to give good gifts. Matthew seven eleven. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and remember the front half of that verse, he's saying, look, when a child asks a father for bread, he doesn't give him a rock. 
or a snake. And if we're evil compared to God, compared to God, we're evil. If us being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God know how to give good gifts to his children? Give what is good to those who ask him. If you're an underliner, underline the word good. Are you convinced that God gives good gifts? He can only give good gifts because he's the definition of good. If it comes from God, it's good. If it comes from God, it's not that there's a higher standard that goes, you know what? That is a good gift, God. Well done. It's good because it comes from him. Every good thing, James says, Given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You don't have to worry that one day he's giving good, good, good gifts and the next day he's, you know, playing pranks on you, putting coal in your stocking. And I tell you, underline the word good because he defines what is good in our life. We don't naturally see every gift from God as good. Now, in all my other human relationships, I'd like to think that if you want to give me a gift, you should ask me what it is that I like. You know, it's kind of presumptuous to go, yeah, 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 I know, you said that's what you wanted for your birthday, but trust me, this is the good gift. And can I borrow it next week, you know? But God really does know better than us what the good gift is. And some of the things we think are good are not good at all. They would be horrible if we got that as a gift from God. Taking my wife to a Garth Brooks concert at the end of the week. What's he seeing? I thank God for unanswered prayers. I am so glad that a lot of things I've asked for I did not get. Though at the time, it was, I was convinced this is what I need to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled and pe- to be able to do ministry. That's a tough one that comes with spiritual maturity and really learning to trust God and the Lord's Prayer will, will help you with that. Trusting that God really does know better than you know what daily bread is. And so we must learn to ask with the right attitude. Here's Paul again writing in Philippians from prison. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You're used to just hearing Philippians 4.13. It looks great on the bottom of Steph Curry's shoe and tattooed on people's arms. But I always wonder if these people know what context that verse comes from. It doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to do through Christ who strengthens me. It means that whatever it is that God has ordained for me to accomplish with the life he's given me and the gifts he's given me and the talents he's given me and the sphere of influence he's given me, even if I'm sitting in prison like Paul, I can do all things 
that he's called me to do through him who strengthens me. Whether I have a lot of resources or a little, all the resources we need to accomplish eternal things are found in Christ, an overabundance of resources in Christ. In fact, sometimes too much material stuff gets in the way of accomplishing the things God has called us to accomplish. You know some of the most amazing times in your life and in ministry is when if God didn't show up, it ain't happening. If God didn't provide, nothing's happening. That's why Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, you can accomplish nothing apart from me. And when I think about that verse, I'm like, actually, I can accomplish plenty apart from Jesus. So what did he mean? You, you can't accomplish anything of eternal value, of kingdom value, without Jesus. Unbelievers accomplish great things, and they don't abide in Christ. Build buildings and write symphonies and solve impossible equations, and they don't give glory to God. So you, you have to think about these verses and what, what they're actually teaching. James says this, you know, you, you shouldn't say, hey, I'm going to go to a city tomorrow, such and such a city, and I'm going to make a bunch of money. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And so a lot of you have learned to pray if it's your will. And instead of just putting that as a tagline on the end of all your prayers, I encourage you to think of other ways to articulate the same thought. God, if, if it would be pleasing to you, I'd like to make this request. Lord, you know me better than I know me. If you think this would be a good thing for me, if this would help me to be like Jesus, if this would not be a hindrance to my spiritual growth, I would really like for this thing. See, it's okay to pray for things that are not essentials either. It's okay. Just don't be in the habit of praying for those things only and all the time and then being disappointed when God doesn't deliver. Like a spoiled child who didn't get everything on his Christmas list. A great story to, to share with you. Some of you heard the story. It's important that we repeat these stories. The Bible has many, many passages that tell us to tell the stories of God's greatness, tell the stories of what He's done to the next generation. And you got to tell them to yourself over and over again. We had been at Country Oaks for about three years, I think, and um, after four years of seminary and leaving our, our home and our house behind and four kids in six years and moving to a new town and meeting people we didn't know and all of that exhausting trying to fit in. And our kids were two, four, six, and eight when we first came here. Can you believe it? And 
you feel the exhaustion setting into your bones. And uh, vacations were often going to Stockton to hang out with my parents for a week. That cannot be a great vacation for my wife. Mom, Dad, if you're listening to this one on the podcast, we love you, and those are wonderful times and wonderful memories, but you understand, for a young mom, it's almost harder to pack up all your stuff in a car and take it somewhere than just stay home. Remember those days? Some of you are in those days. You know, it's, it's not a vacation. It, it, it's, it's more work to plan it. And then when you get home, all the laundry and the unpacking, and you need a vacation from your vacation. But when you're young, it's all you can really afford. And so we used to, um, by the time our kids were a little older and they were in school, we would do that Magic Mountain readathon. And you get the free ticket to Magic Mountain. Because that's a vacation for parents. <laughs> Traipsing around the mountains of Santa Clarita in 104 degree heat and having your head rattled around on a roller coaster. But the kids loved it and it was, it was free. She figured out how to get all the kids free tickets and she was a homeschool mom so she got a free ticket as a teacher. And I taught at HOS so I got a free ticket being good stewards of what God's provided. He provided that. And so we, we, we would go down, and, and one year we're going down on the 14, and, you know, we're, we're just kind of like, yeah, just endure this day, you know. And their kids are old enough now. I hope you're not disappointed to find out that it wasn't big laughs and fun for mom and dad. We loved seeing you have fun, right? We loved seeing you have fun and making family memories and seeing you try bigger and bigger roller coasters, you know, and it's just fun day, but not relaxing, not relaxing. And we started to kind of lament that, boy, a, a vacation, but, you know, where are you going to go and don't really have the funds. And so I said, well, dear why don't you tell me what your dream vacation would look like and we'll give it to the Lord and see what he does. Because I know that's like the pastoral answer. <laughs> it's not the answer made in faith, but we could dream and maybe God will give us something that's kind of close and she's like, oh, I don't want to do this game because the dream's ridiculous. You know, it's preposterous. It's never going to happen and it's just going to breed discontent in my heart. But what else are you going to do on the 14? Come on, humor me. Tell me what your dream vacation is. So, all right, well, there'd be no cooking. All meals would be provided for. No cooking, no dishes afterwards. And it'd be good food, you know. And we wouldn't have to pack our own groceries and bring them with us and, and prepare the meals. And um, there would be activities for the kids, and they'd be fun, but they'd be like God-centered. Like there'd be like a spiritual element. But we wouldn't have to be around the kids all the time. And sometimes there would be times for just mom and dad, like a date night. Like maybe we could bring a college kid or, with us and they could be our personal nanny. Because we've heard that such things happen. Families with money. And uh, the, the accommodations would be nice. I mean, we like camping, 
not so much, but we, we do it. But I'd much rather have a hotel room and shower. And so, the, you know, the list is growing and growing and growing and growing. She's like, see, I told you, you know, it's... And, and, and she was being careful, too, not to make me feel like I'm letting my family down as a provider, you know, because she's sweet that way. And All right, well, let's pray and just give it to the Lord. It's like the shortest prayer ever, and talk about one of those mustard seed size faith. You know. Lord, if you could do something about this list, we would really appreciate it, but we're not expecting much. <laughs> But it was an honest prayer of faith, you know. Like half of the prayer was teach our hearts to just be content with what you provide and trust that you know what we need best. You know, and then half the prayer was like, you know, we'd, we'd throw us a bone here. <laughs> and I am not kidding you. It was not more than 10 minutes. My phone rings, and I'm here answer this for me. I'm driving. She answers the phone. It's Jim Boyd, one of our elders, before he was an elder here. And uh, she puts it on speakerphone. And you know Jim's voice. He's like, hey, Whitney's Jim Boyd here with my family at Forest Home Family Camp enjoying some R&R. And you're like, okay, God, rub it in, you know. And he says... So we open our registration packet, and there's a card in here that says, Pastors' families come for free. Are you interested? <laughs> I'm trying to stay on the road, right? You know, like, yeah. Well, let me call you back because we're about to pull off at Sand Canyon Boulevard at the In N Out because we can't afford the food in Magic Mountain. We have to carb load before we go in. And back then, our In-N-Out order, get this, was <laughs> to get our order under $20 for a family of six, we would order a hamburger with four pieces of meat in it and pull the meat out and break it up for the kids. You know, they don't need bun. They don't need cheese. <laughs> you know, and... and Five water cups, please. <laughs> you know, and they're looking at you like, don't you fill that up with Coke. We're, we're watching you, you know. <laughs> so we pull over, and I, I call Jim, and he's like, yeah, is this legit? So I call the number, and I'm like, so what's the catch? I have to teach all week, right? Or we got to bring like 20 families from our church to get the, no, no. We just want to bless pastors because we know how tired you get and that you don't normally get really good vacations. And I'm just, now I'm crying. And I'm like, well, you know, do we have to bring tents and stuff? And they're like, oh, no, we're going to put you in deluxe accommodations. Your sheets will be changed every morning. All meals provided for. And I'm like, well, what is there to do up there? Oh, well, you start the day going to chapel and worship together as a family, and the kids go off to do their activities, and we have stuff for just the parents. And you eat together as a family at night, but three of the nights, there's date nights for just you and your wife. And I'm like, child care? Yes, we provide <laughs> child care. 
I mean, the boxes were just ding, 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 ding. And like, so sign us up for next summer. And they're saying, no, next week. <laughs> wow. I mean, we, we were bawling in the In-N-Out parking lot. God's amazing goodness and to answer the weakest prayer I've ever prayed, but a prayer in faith of, Lord, we're tired, but we know you sustain us, but if you could do anything about this. Now, that doesn't mean every time you pray that specific list, it's, it's going to happen, but God does that sometimes, and when your heart says, I don't deserve anything, and I get Jesus. I deserve hell, I get heaven in Christ. Then when he gives a gift like that, you are just blown away. But if your heart is saying, I demand this, I deserve this, entitlement heart, why can't I have a nice trip like everybody else, blah, 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 you'll get an amazing gift, and you'll still find a way to complain about it. You know, that, that story gets even better because then we're like, I really don't feel comfortable leaving my kids with a teen that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could really relax that week. So we called Jim Boyd, and, and, and Jim's like, oh, well, here's Johanna's number, my daughter. She's in charge of all the child care assistance at Forest Home. We called Johanna, and she's like, perfectly understandable. I will pick out the cream of the crop babysitter for your kids. God is so good. You know, and it leaves you feeling like the world's biggest whiner, you know. Like, oh God, you're so good to me. My faith is so weak sometimes, and I don't know why you put up with me, and why do you put us in ministry? And, and God says that his strength will be exalted in our weakness. And so it's okay to go to God and admit you are weak and you're tired and you feel like you're failing and let him minister to your soul in his way and his timing, but it's okay to ask specifics. Just don't put God to the test. God, you say you love me, but you can prove you love me by giving me X, Y, Z. Don't do that. Because we must also understand that sometimes our daily bread is a trial. Here's your bread today. Some suffering. A trial. Your daily bread may be that you're not getting daily bread today. Jesus went 40 days in the wilderness without bread. Part of his temptation. He teaches us to pray and fast. So if we're using the Lord's Prayer as a model... It can't always mean that what we need each day is actual food. If that were the case, then how cruel to millions of Christian brothers and sisters around the globe who don't have a daily meal. And so we must teach ourselves, let Christ teach us and discipline ourselves to understand that sometimes daily bread is not getting what you think is your daily bread. And trusting that that is what God has for me today.
Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and don't just read, gloss over that, that's huge. Here's a guy his whole life who was trying to earn his way to heaven. You know, the glorious gospel that God has given us salvation as a free gift. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We, we rejoice in hope that he's coming back. And you're like, well, how can it get any better? We're saved and Jesus is coming back for us. And he says, and more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Woohoo! <laughs> Wait, are you, are you kidding, Paul? Are you serious? How can you say that? Because knowing that suffering produces endurance, the right kind of suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, real character that stands up under the storms of life. And character produces hope. The suffering is what helps us know that we really have the first two promises. How do I know I'm really placing my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation? How do I know I'm really placing my hope in his return? Through my sufferings. That when I'm suffering and I'm doing without, who cares? I have Jesus. If I had everything and no Jesus, then I have nothing. But I have Jesus and nothing else this world has to offer. I have everything. And so the things God gives me in this world is just gravy. Just gravy. Just more reason to bless his name. When we endure suffering, we begin to really understand when Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. That's the daily bread that doesn't get moldy. Last two slides here. Number, number two, daily bread then can also refer to God's word. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we could be praying to ask God that he nourish us with his word. When Jesus was tempted and he went without actual bread for 40 days and Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my food. That's my daily bread. And then we can pray, what, whatever actual bread I need to do your will, give me that, Lord. And some days it's, it's no bread. Some days he calls us to fast. And we'll be better instruments of his will. Isaiah 55, 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. You can't overindulge on God's word. Be a glutton for God's word. 
Go back for seconds and thirds. It's all-you-can-eat buffet. Finally, and most importantly, and ultimately, daily bread refers to Jesus Christ himself. Amen? What did he say after he fed the 5,000 and they came back the next day for more bread? He said, stop seeking the bread that does not give life, that does not satisfy. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So when you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Ultimately, remember that rooting and grounding your faith in Jesus Christ is the daily bread. And nourishing yourself, your soul on his word is the daily bread. And then the rest of it will be added unto you in the amount God deems is necessary. So we help people at the church with literal bread. We really do. People come and, they, and we help them. We've got the food pantry. But more importantly, we feed them the bread of God's word. And of ultimate importance is we share the gospel with them. You need Jesus, the bread of life, the bread that leads to eternal life. We fed you donuts this morning. We fed you on God's word. Is there anyone here who is not feeding on Jesus Christ for eternal life? I want you to receive that bread today. I want you to receive that bread today. We're going to sing um, the wondrous cross. And if you'd like to come forward, I'll be at the cross and receive Jesus. Or maybe you've been starving yourself lately that you haven't had Jesus in your life lately and, and, and you want that bread back, I'll pray, pray for that too. So we'll sing this song and when it's over, you're dismissed. Uh, remember baptism class through these doors, new members class through these doors. God bless you.